0: On today's episode of Three Wide in the Middle, we're going to take a quick look at the Cinderella story that was capped off with a championship this last weekend at Phoenix. And we're going to break down my visit to the World Finals in Charlotte, which was an absolute incredible time um, at the races. I just, it was awesome, man. So I'm going to talk about that. Plus, we've got a little Ask Tommy to wrap it up here today. what's up everybody thomas brandon here thank you very much for joining me as always this is like i said three wide in the middle you're home for all things racing or particularly what i want to talk about when it comes to racing and like i said we got a few things to talk about as the racing season is really pretty much done we've got a couple of things left um in terms of usac usac's got a couple of things left um but overall the racing season is done um we obviously have a couple of events that come up, you know, where we look at, what is it, the Gateway Nationals, and then we've got the Tulsa Shootout, and then the Chili Bowl, but that's not for a little while longer, and yeah, you know, we're pretty much done now until uh, Chili Bowl, and then we've got, you know, February, we'll be kicking it off with the the, the Dirt Car Nationals in, in Volusia, and you know, the Daytona 500, and all that other stuff, so, or of course, the the Bush Clash at the Coliseum, but anyways, um. When it comes to Cinderella stories, uh, we as a society love them. It's why we watch movies like Rocky. Okay. Now, for the most part, we know deep down those movies are crap. It's a complete and utter lie. All right. It's just a waste of time. (laughs) Like that that type of stuff, not going to happen very rarely in the real world. Is a Rocky going to ever even compete with an Apollo Creed, let alone win? But we as a society love them. It's why we love things like the college basketball NCAA tournament. It's because we can see David take down a Goliath. We can see that Cinderella story where the 16th seed knocks off the one seed. Or we get to see that Cinderella story where the team that had the bad tournament the year before, now comes back and makes a deep run all the way to the final four. We love that as a society. We really, really do. And this last weekend on Sunday night in Phoenix, we got to see one of the best Cinderella stories. I mean, I can recall with with Kyle Larson, and the reason I called it a Cinderella story is just. Because it's one of those things that it's like storybook. You could not write a better script if you were trying to make a movie. Okay, when you look at it in terms of redemption. This was a, this was a kid that was coming up and he had talent. He was a phenomenal driver. He, he, he was already in NASCAR. He was running for Chip Ganassi and he lost everything. He made a mistake, a bad mistake. Right, Did something completely and utterly stupid, and it cost him. Last year at this time, he was watching the end of the NASCAR season from his house on his couch, and this year, he's back in the 5 car for Hendrick Motorsports, winning his first ever NASCAR championship and his 10th win of the season, which puts him in like rarified company, right? When you talk about drivers that have won 10 races in a season, you're talking about the Petties, Pearson, Bobby Allison, daryl Waltrip, Rusty Wallace, Bill Elliott, Dale Earnhardt, Cale Yarborough, right? Jeff Gordon, Jimmy Johnson. Those are the drivers that have won at least 10 races in the modern era. Kyle Larson is now on that list. Now, For those of you who didn't watch the race or didn't follow the race, it wasn't looking good at the beginning. I was following the race, you know, because I was actually flying back um, from the world finals. and We'll get to the world finals here in a little bit, but I was flying back. And so I was kind of following it like on my phone and stuff like that. Things were going on, stuff like that. And Larson started the race. He he got the pole. He started the race up front, Um, had a little bit of bad luck there. He had to go to the back. And it wasn't looking good at lap like 200 and it was around lap 270 or something like that out of the, the final four. He was fourth. I mean, he was he was running fourth out of the final four. So it wasn't looking good, but they had a late race caution. Larson had moved up to number three out of the final four. He comes into the pits and his pit stop had to be. My God, it had to be one of the fastest pit stops they've done all season. It really had to be. I mean, if it wasn't number one, it had to at least be in the top three. It was incredible. He came in third, left first, and didn't look back. True X, who had been really, really fast the whole day, was leading the race when that caution came out, looked to be the car um to beat. Uh, finished second to Larson. Um, he was closing in on him there towards the last few laps, but Larson was just he he just catching him is one thing, passing him as another. And I don't think Truex was going to get around him. And Kyle Larson won, like I said. Scored his first NASCAR championship and got his 10th win of the season and really just put a perfect ending to what has been a storybook comeback year for him. It's been really incredible. And I think it's awesome. I really do. You know, for someone to lose everything like he did right i mean to to lose your ride in nascar to lose sponsors right yeah he was dirt racing and yeah he was still active and like he was going to be fine right financially it's not like he was not like kyle larson and his family were going to be living out in a cardboard box but to be on a to be on a certain trajectory and then to all of a sudden have that derailed and not know whether or not you will get to you'll get back to that let alone exceed it that's a very difficult thing. And he overcame it and got a second chance, which is awesome. I believe in second chances, and he got it, and was able to take advantage of it. So kudos to him, his whole team, Hendrick Motorsports, you know, Jeff Gordon, I know Jeff Gordon was a big, big you know role in in you know kind of convincing uh, Hendrick and the team to to bring Larson in, and it's been an awesome ride. and now you look at it, and I really think that We are watching the beginning of a, you know, Jeff Gordon, Jimmy Johnson type run. Now, I don't mean Larson's going to win seven championships. That's not what I'm talking about. But I mean, where we have a driver that is going to be a championship contender for the next five to 10 years. I really think that. And when you look at the Hendrick team overall, that is a lot of talent there. Right, where you've got William Byron, Alex Bowman, Chase Elliott and Kyle Larson like that that is a stable of young talent. Um that team is going to the the whole organization is man. I mean, you want to talk about stacking the deck. <laughs> Hendrick, that might be the most talented lineup they've ever had in terms of just young talent. I mean, and understand that's saying a lot considering that there was a time you know when they had Jeff Gordon and Jimmy Johnson, right? Dale Earnhardt Jr., like they've had they've had stacked lineups before. And there's just I don't know man, there's something about those four guys right now and, and when and when it's led by Kyle Larson and Chase Elliott who've won the last two championships, right? And Elliott once again was right up there battling for it, you know, the top four, Hamlin, Elliott, Truex and Larson, they were all right there at the end right there it's not like larson won, tricks was second and Elliott and hamlin were back in 23rd and 24th no 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 they're all right there so it was a really really exciting end to the season um that was the first time in a really long time i was looking forward to that race in nascar you know last year with covid and all that stuff like that i was paying attention to it i saw chase Elliott win and stuff like that but i was not nearly into it like i was this year um like I said, I've definitely gotten more, you know, back into NASCAR a whole lot more recently or over these last couple of years. and this year was awesome. It was an awesome, awesome uh season overall. Um, I think the right the right man won the championship. Larson was the 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 best driver all season long, in my opinion, they were the best team, and they capped it off with the win. So, like I said, congrats to them, the, the team, the whole organization. It was well done. And uh, yeah, it's just cool to see, man. It's awesome to see. So congrats to Kyle Larson. All right. So this last weekend, I got to literally do a bucket list trip for me. Um, One of the those, are, I mean, those of you who are fans of racing like I am, right, there's there's certain events that. Are just those events where you're just like I, I gotta go see that. I gotta go check that out, right? So even if you're not a big Indy Car fan, the Indy 500 is one of those things that like every real race fan is like, yeah, I I, I want to go see Indy, right? You can't see the entire track from anywhere you sit, right? Like it, it's there's something that's blocked, but at the end of the day, it's Indy. Okay, it's the Indy 500, right? It's a big deal. Daytona 500, right? The cars look like micro machines, right? You need binoculars to see them on the backstretch, but it's the Daytona 500. So that's like one of those events where people are like, yeah, I want to go there. Um, you know, uh, for me, right? I mean, you take some of the, the, the NASCAR Indy stuff, like take some of that stuff out of the equation. Just looking at it on the dirt side, there's a handful of events to me that are just bucket list. Like I want to go see those before I die. And the world finals was one of them, right? I mean, you've got Knoxville Nationals, you've got the Kings Royal, um, you know, Indiana Sprint Week is one that I want to do. Midget Week is one that I want to do. You know, I've been to the Chili Bowl, which was awesome. I actually went a couple times. It was awesome. Um, but the world finals has been one that I've wanted to go see for years now, for a lot of years now. And fortunately, you know, in, in my business, um, in, in SSR, I've made a lot of really, really cool friends. And one of them, Chris Picotti, actually lives out there by, um, the speedway. He was about an hour away in South Carolina. He invited me out. And so I got to fly out last Tuesday and I got to stay the week there with them. And we got to go to the world finals. Now, Thursday night got rained out. And initially I was pissed because I was like, come on, mother nature, really? Like I flew, you know, across the country so I could have this event rained out. Like, Like, what are we doing? Come on. Like, what are we thinking here? You know, so initially I was pretty upset by that, but it was actually a blessing because Friday night, the track was so tacky and so fast. It was incredible. Now. When it comes to track prep, okay, and this is one of those things, and I, 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 I knew this already. I just kind of forgotten it um, because it's been so many years. But when we would run, you know, the local tracks or stuff like that, right? The local dirt tracks out here on the West Coast, and you know, we might pack up and go run the the Saturday night show down at Tulare, right? Or maybe head on down and and run the the King of the West show. You know, down at Paris or Hanford or something like that. Um, you know, those guys who who prep the tracks for those events, or you know, some of them are pretty good. They're not bad, right? But when the Outlaws come to town, and it's like the Outlaw crew is the ones doing it, it's it's another ball game. Okay, it's it's just it's just another level. These guys know what they're doing. They know how to create a good racetrack. Now, it's not always perfect. I have been to Outlaw races that you know, have sucked. I've, I've seen rubber down tracks before. You're like, God dang it, man. This, it's just like one groove. They're just following each other. You're like, man, this blows. But then I've also seen races. We, I remember one year we went to Vegas for the NASCAR race and the outlaws were at the dirt track right next to us. Now, mind you, we're in the freaking desert. Okay. And they had a racetrack that was so racy and so tacky. No joke. It would literally, you could, you know, when you walk on, like the floor at a movie theater and it wants to like pull your shoe off because the floor is so sticky from all the soda and crap that's been dumped on it. Right. I don't know what the th- theaters are like where you are, but in my hometown, that's how they were, you know? So that's what the track was like in Vegas. It's like, it's a freaking desert. How'd they do this? But you know, the, the track prep teams are just incredible for those, for those series. And at Charlotte, they knocked it out the park. Friday night was an incredibly fast track and It was multi-groove. They could run the bottom, the middle, the top. It was just an awesome night of racing. Now, the downside was, is it was freaking freezing. It was so cold, so cold. Now, I get it. My California ass is not used to that type of cold, okay? And that's really what it was. Because Chris, who was with me, mind you, Chris, was he's from Iowa, all right? I mean, he was sitting there like, Tommy, I come from a part of the country that doesn't see the sun for six months where it gets minus 20. And he's like, and I'm cold right now. So for whatever reason, I don't know why, but 40 degrees in North Carolina does not feel like 40 degrees in California. I don't know if it's the moisture, the humidity. I don't know what it is, but it was bone chilling cold. I mean, it cut through you to your core and i was not dressed appropriately for it. i had on a pair of jeans a t-shirt with a hoodie and that was it and i was freezing on friday night now although i couldn't feel my hands or my feet <laughs> and it was literally freezing cold um it was an awesome night of racing so first off the big block modifieds were an amazing show i'd never seen a big block modified race in person I keep in mind, I did not know those cars existed until last year. Um, the only reason I even knew of a big block modified was because on iRacing, the sim racing that I do, they had gotten the track Weed Sport and everyone was like, oh, that big block modifieds are coming. Big block modifieds are coming. I'm like, what the hell is a big block modified? I'd never even seen one before. We don't have big block mods out in California. We got IMCA mods, right? Like that. That's what we got. So I'd never seen one up close and personal before. Um, they were incredible. They really were. They, they, are, they are fun to watch, man. Um, the Super Dirt Car Series, that was really, really cool. They put on an awesome show. And the guy who won on Friday night was a 17-year-old kid, Alex Yankowski. That was his first Super Dirt Car win. And he got it on night one of the World finals it wasn't and he started sixth. it's not like he started on the pole and he just kind of went away from everybody no he started sixth. he had to pass people and he did a phenomenal job he ran a awesome race man awesome race so that was really cool to see to see this 17 year old kid get his first super dirt car win at the world finals that that was really really cool now when it came to the championships, right? Because this is the world final. So coming into the final weekend, all three championships were over. So Shepard had already locked up the late Brandon Shepard had already locked up the late models. Um, the other Shepard, I can't remember his name, uh, for the Super Dork Car Series, he had already locked up his uh, championship. And then Brad Sweet, all he had to do was qualify on friday night and he was going to lock up his third straight championship and of course he did that and he won the championship now brad sweet we talked about kyle larson putting himself into rarefied company with his 10 wins in a season and his championship brad sweet put himself in rarefied air because there are only three drivers to win three championships in a row those drivers are steve Donnie Schatz and Brad Sweet. Brad Sweet could not win another cha- He could not win another race, and he's gonna go down as one of the best outlaw drivers of all time. That's the that is the run that he's had over the last four years. That is incredible. Incredible. Now, his weekend was actually not that great, but it didn't really matter because he had already wrapped up the championship. Now, although his weekend wasn't that great, it was a lot better than the man. That probably should have won. I mean. He, he should have won both nights. He was the car to beat both nights. And he did not win. Either one. In the, in the sprint cars. And that was Logan Shuhart. Logan Shuhart. To say that he needs a lucky rabbit's foot. Is probably the understatement of the year. Someone's got a hex on that guy. Dude. He was dominant on Friday night. He had. A straightaway lead. I mean, there, there, there was nobody even close to him. He was blowing through lap traffic. He was so much faster than the rest of the field. He really was. It was incredible how much faster he was. And then all of a sudden, he's got a flat tire. From what I had heard, it was he had lost the bleeder valve on it. And boom, flat tire. And he's done. Just like that. There goes his, his shot at winning. Now. What was bad luck for Shuhart was good luck for Gravel. Gravel had been running, I think, second, second or third, but he, Gravel ended up getting the lead. Gravel won the race, and Gravel was fast. Gravel, David Gravel was really fast. And I don't think he would have, even with the caution, I don't think he could have got around Shuhart, but he was fast. So Gravel locked up to win Friday night. It was a really, really fun race to watch. And then we had the late models. Uh, shepherd started up front shepherd actually had the lead and he looked his car looked tight now like i said the track was really really tacky and there wasn't there was slick but it wasn't like you normally see at these races where you've got kind of a bottom you know the middle is slick and then you've got a cushion it wasn't like that it was like bottom a little bit of the middle is is slick and then from like just above the middle point of the track and up was just all tacky dirt. Like there was a lot of tack on the track and Shepard's car looked tight. Um, he was fast, but it looked tight and he, he sounded cause we were sitting in, in turn four coming out of turn four right there, turn four in the front stretch and his cars. It sounded like he was almost like he was kind of like over revving it. Like he was like intentionally kind of spinning the tires to get the thing to turn. Like, that's how how it hooked up the track was. Keep in mind, in qualifying on Friday night, the big block drivers were removing their rear spoilers because the cars were too hooked up. That's how tacky the track was. You had drivers removing the rear spoilers because, like, dude, this thing's just way too hooked up. So, you know, even later on in the late model race, and 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 even later on, the big blocks had their spoilers back on, but the, the track was still really hooked up. So, for Shepard, it looked like his car was just too tight, and Davenport was just on another level. Uh, Jonathan Davenport was on another level this last weekend. He just he from the get go, you could tell like this dude's just on. He could put that car anywhere he wanted to, had no problem running any line, and made it look easy. And he got around Shepard and was gone, was gone, and ended up winning night number one. So Friday night was, like I said, it was really, really cool because it was a really fast, tacky track. There was multiple lanes and it was some awesome racing. Now, Saturday, they ended up moving the start times up earlier because there was the chance of rain Saturday night. So it was like, all right, we're going to push it up a couple of hours. I think they were starting at one o'clock on Saturday. So we get there, it's afternoon, it's still daylight outside. Now, keep in mind, it's still freaking cold, but it's daytime. And they start running the track in. Well, by the time we got to qualifying, the track was as, was actually, the track was as slick as the end of the feature Friday night. The end of all the features Friday night. Like that's how much more slick it was. Saturday, the track was super technical. It was a technical slick track. It slicked off really fast. It was slick all the way through the middle of, you had the cushion and then you had the bottom. And like, that was it. And so it was a really technical track. But the good thing was, once again, it was multiple grooves. You saw people running all different kind of lines. It was really, really good racing. It was a lot. It was just a lot of fun, man. It was just just two days of phenomenal racing. Now, Saturday night, Davenport wins the late model race again. (laughs) just puts it on everybody, wins again. Um, Wasn't even a competition. In the big blocks, Brett Hearn actually won, and this was actually really cool because Brett, the Jet, as they were calling him, um, he he's been running a from the way from what they were saying at the at the race. He's so he's basically been running a limited schedule, right? Since like two thousand seventeen or something, and the last few years he's been running a limited schedule. Well, he hasn't won a super dirt car race since 2018. Well, he won on Saturday night and was pretty emotional about it. Like you could tell, like it was a big deal. Like you would have thought this was his first ever super dirt car win, but no, it's just his first since 2018. Well, here's the thing. That was his like 920th modified win and his 450th dirt car win. You see, when you win that much and you go three years without a win, that feels like an eternity, right? Imagine, he had over 900 modified wins. So even if you were to race for 50 years, right? You're getting basic, almost two wins a season, two two wins a year. So when you... Go from that. Right? Oh, not two wins. What am I saying? He had 400 or 900 and something. So he's getting like what? 20 wins a year. I said two. 20 wins. Forgot the zero. Huh. He's getting like 20 wins a year, right? On average. So when, you, when you're getting that and then all of a sudden you go three years without a win, man, that feels like an eternity. And so he got the, win. he led green to checkered, he was by far the best car. And it was really, really cool to see, um, somebody like that. And like I said, I don't follow the big blocks that much. I mean, I'm going to follow them now. Cause it was just really awesome. I, I actually want to go see another big block event, but it was really cool to see somebody, you know, get, they're that impacted by the, that, by a win. Like it was just really, really cool. Like the, the weekend was just awesome because there were so many different things that you saw. Like I said, the night before in the big blocks, you got this 17-year-old kid, Yankowski, getting his first super door car win. Then the next night, you've got, you know, Brett Hearn. Dude's like, I don't know, 50s, 60s. I mean, he's been, been racing a long time, got hundreds and hundreds of wins. And this is his first win since 2018. And he gets emotional about, it. like, it was just really, really cool to see that type of stuff. And it was an awesome event. Now... Sprint Car Race, Saturday night, once again, Shuhart was the man to beat, and it wasn't even close. He had it in the bag. All he had to do was not hit the wall, and he would have won. But he hit the wall and didn't win. Now, fortunately for Brent Marks, Shuhart hit the wall because that actually handed the lead over to Brent Marks, and Brent Marks was fast, man. He was really, really fast. Now, behind Marks was uh, Brock Zierfotz. And Zerfoss actually been running pretty good most of the weekend. Uh, I didn't have him up there in terms of, you know, contenders to win, but he was definitely, you know, you could watch him and you could be like, ah, that's a top five car. Like he had been running really solid the whole weekend, but behind Marks, who won the race and Zerfoss who finished second was Donnie Schatz. Now, Donnie Schatz had a pretty rough weekend overall. He did. Um. Friday night shots was doing double duty. He was actually running the late models and the sprint cars. He didn't really have a good showing in either. Um, if I'm remembering correctly, I don't even think he made the feature in the late models, uh, for the sprint cars. You know, he, he, he wasn't like, you know, he was running. I think he was, he finished seventh or eighth or something like that on Friday night. He just, he wasn't a real factor. Um, Saturday night started off even worse. He was not good in qualifying. He was pretty slow. He finished like sixth or seventh in the heat. Like he just, he, I, mean, I think he finished sixth in the heat race um, and he had to run the last chance qualifier. Now, Saturday night, they only ran a B main. They didn't run a C main because like I said, they're trying to beat the weather. So they just took everybody and threw them into one last chance qualifier. So he had like 22 cars in the LCQ. Now, Schatz didn't even make it, okay? He finished fifth. He didn't didn't even transfer out of the LCQ. He finished fifth. He needed to finish at least in the top four. So Schatz actually got in with the provisional. He started the feature in the 25th position. It was a 25-lap feature. Schatz finished third. The man put on a clinic, an absolute clinic. He basically passed a car a lap. It was one of the most impressive just displays of driving ability that I've ever seen in my life. It was incredible. I could not take my eyes off him. I didn't actually even see Shuhart wreck because I wasn't watching the leaders. I was watching Donnie shots because he had gone from like 25th to 20th or something like that. 25th to 21st in like a lap. He gained like four spots in a lap or something like that. And you see him coming, you're just like, damn, dude, that, he's on the move. And he just was picking people off, dude. It was insane. Everybody's trying to run the top or they're sliding up through the middle or something like that. And he's just rolling the bottom, hitting the throttle. And it's like he shot out of a cannon. And just every lap, just boom, 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 boom. Honestly, if the race had been 30 laps, I think you would have had a shot to get to get second. Maybe even first. I mean, he was by far the fastest car. Well, I don't know. Marks was pretty far ahead. But had there been a caution, I, I, I think shots would have been, he would have won the race. He was that fast. It was incredible. So basically, after what had been a very mediocre and average weekend, shots got it all back in one run on Saturday night in that feature. It was absolutely incredible. Now, here was the, the kicker, though, because there wasn't a whole lot of, battling in terms of the points right there wasn't really that much open in the sprint cars suite had the championship locked up all he had to do was qualify friday gravel was going to be second really the battle was for third the final podium spot for the championship between Carson Macedo and Donnie Schatz and at the start of the feature it was like Macedo's got third place locked up by the end of the feature it's like oh my god Schatz might get this back now, Schatz needed to finish, he needed to beat Macedo by two positions. Shots finished third, Macedo finished fourth. And so, Donnie Schatz for the first time in, I want to say like 10 years or something like that, it's like the first time in like a decade, he's actually finished outside the top three in the points. He had been on an incredible streak and it just came to an end. And Schatz finished fourth. He missed out on third place in the points. By, by three points, Macedo beat him. Beat him by th- well, Macedo was two points ahead of Shots. Had they tied, it would have went to wins. Macedo would have got him. So Shots would have needed three points to be ahead of him, and he missed it. He did not get it. He was three points off. So either way, it was still an awesome weekend of racing. I absolutely enjoyed every moment of it, despite. The fact that i was freezing cold (laughs) even saturday night it was freezing cold and i dressed more appropriately and i was still cold by the end of the night like it's that that wind just cut right through you it was man oh my god yeah but it was worth it absolutely it was worth it because it was a ton of fun so hopefully this next year and get to do another one. Not sure what I want to do. I I really want to do sprint week next or midget week. Those are the, those are kind of the two that I want to do next. Either one of them I'll be happy with, but I, that's what I want to do next is, is Indiana sprint week or Indiana midget week. Um, because I just, I, obviously I love the, the USAC sprints and midgets. So hopefully we'll get to do something like that this next year. We'll have to wait and see, but yeah, awesome week of racing overall and just a phenomenal way to end the season i mean yeah usac still has a couple things left but i mean overall the the racing season's done and you know we've got we do have the gateway nationals you know and then um we'll have you know tulsa shootout and chili bowl and stuff like that but pretty much we're done now until next year and so it was it was a lot of fun um you know a lot of good racing awesome ending to the season um to see you know sweet win his third straight Shepard went his, you know, his third straight and fourth and five years, I think is what it was. You know, so it was just really, really cool, really awesome to be there. And it was, yeah, just a lot of fun. All right. So it is time for the Ask Tommy portion of the show where basically you ask me a question, and it could be pretty much about anything. Now, we got actually a couple of couple of interesting questions today, um, from the same person. So, um, but if you want me to answer your questions here on the podcast, just send an email to ask Tommy 35 at gmail.com. All right. So just ask Tommy T O M M Y 35, the number 35 at gmail.com. All right. And, uh, just put on the subject line, podcast question, question for the show, something like that. Um, it's, I only use this email for this segment, but it's actually kind of amazing how I'm already getting spam and I haven't, I haven't signed up for anything. I don't, I don't know how that works, but anyway, so couple of questions from Jackson. So he says, "I he says, uh, so I have two questions. If I wanted my career to still be involved with racing after college, what would be the best way to do that? And then how do you remember what adjustments to make for all the different cars on iRacing asphalt and dirt? Okay. So a couple of things there. Um, let's, let's, let's cover the first part, uh, if I wanted my career to be involved with in racing after college, what would be the best way to do that? So here's the thing, okay? You need to really look at what, what do you want your career to be in racing? Because when it comes to having a career in racing, most people think about it, they, they think about it um, really narrow-mindedly. And what I mean by that is, is people think like, oh, I want to work in racing. And they look at it as a uh, driver or mechanic, right? Like, that, like that's it. But when it comes to racing now, you got to understand, especially when you get into high-level racing, Even World of Outlaws and stuff like that, yeah, they might only have a couple of guys that are traveling around working on the teams and stuff. But if you can provide your, if you can become an asset, you can really provide a lot of value. And the thing is, is that these teams are these are businesses. All right. They are absolute businesses. They don't just, they're not just burning money, right? These top-level teams. So When you get to the NASCAR level, right? It's, I mean, it's the same thing. These are big time, this is big time business, right? Like a lot of these, you know, when you look at the top NASCAR teams, right? Or you look at something like F1 or IndyCar, like they race for a living. Those teams operate to make a living, okay? So there are plenty of opportunities in terms of working in racing, right? Being involved with racing when you're done with college. Now, if you are talking about like, look, Tommy, I want to be, you know, I want to work on the cars. I want to set them up. I want to be a mechanic. I want to do that type of stuff. Understand pretty much now you need to be an engineer to do that. Okay. If we're looking at things like NASCAR or, you know, F1 IndyCar stuff like that, like the top, the really the top level asphalt racing series, you've got to have some kind of engineering background. The days of people like me knowing how to set up race cars and stuff like that, and then showing up to shops and being like, oh yeah, man, I can do this, right? Like those days are gone. They're just, they don't exist anymore. The technology is so advanced and the, the, way that the, the ways that they look at stuff is, it's just, it's immense, it's immense. You're talking about teams of engineers going through mountains of data just to fine tune the camber on the right front by a 10th of a degree, right? Like that's the type of stuff that they're doing. So if you're talking about that type of career in racing, you, you got to be an engineer. So unless you're going to college as to be, to be an engineer, right? uh, You're probably not going to be in that line of work. Now, that being said, there are, like I mentioned before, a ton of other opportunities. There's a ton of them. There really is. Now, if you're like, dude, Tommy, I just like, dude, I like working on sprint cars at the local dirt track. And I just want to do that. Maybe one day I can get on an outlaw team or something like that, dude, just find people at the racetrack. That's all you have to do, man. Get to know some people around the pits. Okay. Like if you want to, you know, if that's what you want to do it's in racing, it it's all about who, you know, and how you know them. And the racing community is unlike any other community there is. It really is. Your local dirt track community is is usually one of the friendliest places you can be. Now, yes, there are times where tempers get hot and and rivalries are formed and people are fighting and throwing punches. But for the most part, your local dirt track, man, it's, it's a community. People are helping you. Dude, even this last weekend, we're at the world finals, right? Sheldon hodden Shield flips his car. They miraculously, it somehow only messed up the top wing and like nothing else. I don't know how that even happened, but it messed up the top wing, nothing else. They pull him back to the work area. You had mechanics from 3 different teams helping the NOS team put a new wing on that car, right? And I don't mean like, you know, these are not randos. These were like you know, people from the Napa team, from the caravan team, right? Like these are people, these are their competitors and they're helping him fix his car, right? Would you see that in NASCAR, right? Would you see Martin Truex Jr.'s team come over and help Kyle Larson, right? If Larson wrecked, would they be in his garage helping him patch up the car? No, they wouldn't be doing that. But they do it on the dirt track. Right, and that's because it's 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 like a community. So just get to know people. I mean, that's really the key is is knowing people. Once you do that, then it's just a matter of just really getting out there and doing it. You know, when I started doing dirt dirt racing, for me it was you know I I had become friends with Ron, and Ron really took me in. You know, took a liking me. I was in high school at the time, and you know I started working on the go karts, the outlaw karts, and stuff like that. And then it was like, hey, you want to work on the midgets and the sprint cars? I was like, yeah. And so that's what I started doing. And that's how I got into it. And here's the thing. Once you do that, if you make yourself known at a dirt track, and we'll talk about asphalt here in just a second, but if you make yourself known at a dirt track and you can show that, hey, man, I know what I'm talking about. I know what I'm doing, right? I've got some knowledge. I can listen to instructions. If you do that, you will get offers. You will. Believe it or not, well, I don't know if it's I don't know if it's still like this, but back then, believe it or not, man, there was not a lot of people who who wanted who wanted to to keep doing those jobs. There really wasn't. Right? And when you talk about like outlaw, the world of outlaws, like yeah, but there are a ton of dirt teams out there. That that's what they do. They run professionally, right? They they, they all make a living doing it and they're not running the world of outlaws. They might run a few outlaw races a year. Maybe they run, you know, the All-Stars or Lucas Oil or something like that, but they're running all over the country. And they're paying you, you know, four five hundred bucks a week. Plus expenses, right? To, to work on the car all week and travel around. So those jobs are out there. It's just, you really got to know people. That's really the thing. You got to make the relationships. You got to. Now, another avenue that you can go is you can go more to the business side. And this is something that we're seeing happen more, but the racing teams are still pretty far behind. Racing teams, unless you're like NASCAR or like F1, when it comes to things like marketing, race teams suck. They really do. Their marketing's horrible. It really is. Um... Even the racing series, I don't think most of them do a good job with their marketing. They really don't. Like, luckily, they have hardcore fans, and that's what keeps them afloat. But for the most part, they don't do a good job with their marketing. So anything like that, where you can do promotion, marketing, sales, right, exposure, that type of stuff, you can find a job in racing because they're always looking for good people. in Any businesses. Any businesses. So if you really want to you know still be involved with racing after college that you know have those relationships even if it's just you going to your local dirt track and then going out to the pits at the end of the races each night and just talking to some people you'd be amazed at how many people will have you will will let you help them you know he's got hey are you guys looking for an extra hand I'll buy my own pit pass. I'll show up. You don't have to pay for nothing. I, I just I just want to help, man. I just want to learn, right? You'll be amazed at how many teams will be like, yeah, man, you can come out here next Friday night. I, you'll be amazed. And once you get in and you start learning, you start doing it, then more opportunities open up. But you just gotta be, you just have to be willing to grind. I started when I started getting offers or work on other teams and stuff like that, keep in mind I had been working on them cars for years. It's not like I did one year, we went out and won a bunch of races, and all of a sudden I've got you know, teams from Indiana being like, hey man, love your work, want to come to Indiana? It, it's not like that, like it took me years, right? So my buddy Lee, who used to work for uh, Casey Kane Racing back when Sal Dana was the driver for the sprint car team, years ago, right? Lee had started out here, we were working together with, with, uh, with Shane, with Ron Matthews. And then Lee went to work for Bud Kading out in Indiana and then got a call from Kane. So, you know, it's just, it's just getting out there. Once you start doing it and you you can, you know, you're seen and people can see that you're a worker and stuff like that, the opportunities will come. You just got to be willing to put in the time. And that's the thing. Racing takes time. And it doesn't matter if it's real life racing or sim racing, which brings us to your next question. How do you remember what adjustments to make for all the different cars on iRacing, Asphalt and Dirt? So here's the thing. This is how I remember them. The good Lord did not bless me with much. All right. I don't have rugged good looks, and when it comes to my height, I'm from the land of the lollipop kids. But <laughs> I was blessed with a really good memory. Now, besides that, one of the reasons why I I remember how to make everything is because I've done it so much. I've I've made so many adjustments, both real life and real life and sim racing now. And you have to understand that a adjustment on a dirt midget right, if the car's loose, the adjustment on the dirt midget is actually the same adjustment that you would make on a NASCAR Cup Series car, all right, now, when I say it's the same, what I mean is the principle's the same, all right, it is, see, on a NASCAR, it's a, you have a, like, for example, let's say the car is loose in the middle, okay, Well, that's going to be your rear spring split, which a lot of times that's your right rear spring and your left rear spring means your, your right rear spring is too stiff or your left rear spring is too soft or it's a combination of both. Well, on a midget, it's your torsion bars. They both accomplish the same thing. It's just, they're just different. One's a spring, one's a torsion bar, right? Torsion bars are a little bit slower reactor. They're a little bit smoother, right? That's kind of the difference between torsion bars and springs. But it's the same principle. All right, vehicle dynamics are the same in every regard. They really are. Okay, now when it comes to wing sprint cars, obviously there's a little bit difference because you have that big ass barn door sticking up there on the top, which sucks those things down on the left side. But at the end of the day, the, the dynamics and the weight transfer, and stuff like that, it's still the same. And so for me, it's not like I remember every single adjustment in terms of this is, I got to adjust the spring. This, I got to move the trailing arm. This, I got to change the stagger. This got to change the wheel spacing. It's the principles of it. That's how I remember. In real life and in, on the sim. So if I have a sprint car that's too tight and I have a big block that's too tight, guess what? I can increase the right rear wheel spacing and it'll accomplish the exact same goal on both cars. So that's how I remember it, right? And then on the asphalt side, it's the same thing. Now the asphalt side, I had to, to kind of relearn um, a lot of stuff because I, the only asphalt stuff I had done in real life was asphalt midgets. And even though, like I said, the principles are the same, the way that you do on asphalt midget is, is obviously different than, you know, a late model or a tour mod or, or a NASCAR cup car, right? So those are different. And so I had to kind of go through and kind of test stuff, you know, where I would just use a base setup and then I would make an adjustment, see what happens to the car making another adjustment and then kind of compare it and be like, okay, so moving the trailing arm does this, right? Or the truck arm, as they call it, right? Adding preload does this, right? So those are the things that I did. But like I said, overall, the principles are the same. They really are. So that's kind of how I remember them. It's not me remembering the exact adjustment. It's just knowing how the cars react, what I'm looking for it to do, and then how do I accomplish that? So that's that's what I do. So thanks for the question there, Jackson. I really, really appreciate it, you guys. But that's going to do it all for this week's episode. So thank you very much, as always, for joining me. Please do me a favor. Like, share, subscribe, all that good stuff. Leave me a rating on Apple iTunes or Apple Podcasts, iTunes, whatever the heck it's called now, if you want. Um, if you're going to do it, late, five stars, please. That'll really help the show. But, um, But yeah. And, uh, we will be back next week. Now, since racing is dying down a little bit, we're going to be, uh, not this next week, but after this, once we get into the holidays, we're going to be cutting the show to every other week. We'll be doing two a month, but the shows are going to be a little bit longer because I'm going to be doing a little bit of a different segment that I'm going to be adding into kind of the news aspect of the show. So it's going to be pretty cool. Also going to have some guests on here with me as well. I'm hoping to bring one or two people onto the show, um, hopefully permanently. I need some people to talk to in here, man. It gets kind of lonely. But anyways, you guys, that's going to do it all for today's show. Thank you very much, as always, for joining me. And until next time, take care.